0: Hey, good morning. It's really good to have you here at fellowship. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter three as we continue on the series called set setting our lives on a few things. Number one, the gospel of Jesus Christ that we we turn away from our own way of trying to save ourselves with God and we trust in the only one to save us the person in the work of Jesus Christ. A life that is set on Christ, believes that Christ is the way to God and has put your faith and trust in him. And once you receive that salvation, you want to share that. A life set on the gospel is a life that's sharing the gospel. Uh, Then we also looked at a life that's set free. Free to live the way God has created us to live. Where we're principled, where we really believe that Jesus is enough. Not just for salvation, but also for our daily lives. And then a life that is practical. We practice the, the, uh, the life of Jesus in our lives and those values. Remember, look, we looked at that, that value and that principle of dying to live, dying to ourselves in order to live more towards God. I know that goes against the American thought of protecting yourself, advancing yourself and protecting your own personal rights. But the gospel really comes in and reforms your heart, my heart turns us to, to trust and to follow someone named Jesus. And, and this Jesus who has set us free has also set us in relationships. And I want to show you that and remind you of that passage we looked at last week. Remember in Colossians 3 verses 10 and 11? Let's look at that real quickly. It says, you've been put, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. You see, God has set us for and God has set us in relationships. Relationships that were to give honor and dignity and love and respect to all people. So that that which sin has broken and separated, the gospel reunites us so that we're back together again. Back together again with God, back together again with each other. And if you look around you, and if you're honest, even look within you, you're going to find some excuses and some rationale to separate or to stay away from people who don't look like you, who don't act like you who don't think like you, people don't even talk like you. Yet, when we come to the gospel and we set our lives on Christ, we find that Jesus is the great unifier in relationships. He's the uniter that brings us back to God and brings us back to each other. Now, Paul is going to share some life-giving wisdom for our relationships in the passage for today. And on the outside, we're going to have a natural urge to resist this and give pushback to the word this morning. So what I'm going to ask you to do is put on a humble ear that could really, uh, that would look to God to teach us in this area of relationships. And, and what God is going to do is he's going to give us some timeless, tested and proven insight for just about every relationship in our lives. Let's take a look at what he calls us to, beginning with verse 18. Are you guys ready to go from zero to 120? Okay, here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands (laughs) as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart fearing the lord And whatever you do work heartily is for the lord and not for men Knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward You are serving the lord christ for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done There's no partiality Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that what you also have a master in heaven. Why do we get into relationships? What are some reasons that drive us into relationships? Well, we're created as relational people. We long to be loved. We long to be accepted. We long to love. But if you ask people the number one reasons why they get into relationships, why they seek more for, more friends, why they seek to get into a relationship, it's usually because number one, they're fulfilling a need. It's a need of acceptance, of love, of care, of companionship. It's a need to get and to have. That's why even in the phrase, I don't need friends is an indication of why people get into relationships because you feel you need someone in your life. There's other of us us who don't want to change. And so we join friendships of people who are just like us, who share same spiritual views, same uh, political views, same views on the family or whatever else we look at. And we we join with people who think and act and look like us. Because we believe people need to appreciate who we are. And they don't require us to change to be in friendship with them. Others of us join keeping score. And it's this kind of like a a relational bank account. And it starts at zero. And as long as you make a deposit to me, well, I'll make a withdrawal to you. And so see what that's doing? That's always waiting on the other person to act for you to give something they then deserve Well, what the Bible is going to teach us this morning is that the scriptures give us alternative reasons for friends. The scriptures are going to call us to set Christ in every relationship. And when we set Christ in every relationship, what we're saying then is, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus with every relationship that he has placed in my life. And a life that's set on Christ, this passage is going to reveal that there's three, practice, three practices in every relationship that's set on Christ. Folks, this is life-giving, and you're not really going to get this apart from the Word of God. And so uh, what I'd like you to consider is even though it's different than this world, I want you to think about what it could be like if every one of our relationships had these three practices in them. Let's talk about them. The first one is the practice of sacrifice. It's the practice of sacrifice. I know it asks women and and in marriage, wives to submit to their husband. That's we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But just bear with me because it equally says then to husbands to love your wives. See what it says there: love your wives. And then look, it's even developed more in Ephesians chapter five twenty five, the parallel passage to this passage. It says, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Boy, that's the instruction. If a woman's going to submit to a man, she better be. She better be. Uh, you know, have it made easy. It's got to be something that that's done from a motive of love. And that's exactly what God asks husbands to do here. Last week we talked about this concept of dying to live. Remember that? Where you die to yourself to live for Christ, because what Christ wants to do in our lives is different than what. What our agenda is. It needs to be his agenda. But now he's asking us to go one step further. He's asking us to die to ourselves in order to love someone else. And every relationship that's growing and vibrant and thriving has this practice in it. Now just think about your own relationships with your own family. We all benefit when someone sacrifices for us. Whether it's a mother or father, a teacher, a rich uncle a good Samaritan who comes stops by to help you in time of need, a friend or a spouse. All of us have benefited up to this point in our lives because someone else sacrificed for us. Someone else said, I could use the money for myself, but here, go to college. I could use this time for my own self to play one more video game, but here, I'll help you move. It's all these people who are, who are sacrificing for us. Our lives are richer because of it. So what we're called to is sacrifice. We're called to sacrifice in our relationships. Uh, secondly, we're called to submit. A look at this passage. Three areas it calls for a submission. Uh, wives, submit to your hus- husbands, verse 18. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything. Verse 22, bondservants servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. See, this is a universal principle of relationships. It's submission. In Ephesians 5.21, again, the parallel passage, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is a biblical term. It's not one that gets a lot of traction in our world today. Matter of fact, it's the S word. People don't like it. They don't like it. It's it's something that as long as you tell me, don't submit. I married a couple a while back and and the wife says, as long as there's no submission in the words, in any of the vows that I do, I'm going to be okay. And, you know, sorry. We all submit. We all submit. We submit to God who's over us. We submit to people who are over over us. Scriptures call us to submit to the governmental authorities over us. We're called in relationship to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is a biblical term. And I'll tell you, in healthy relationships, it's there all the time. What do you want to do today, honey? That's submission. (laughs) You're open. You're available. You're allowing another person to build into your life. Most relationships in our world today are all about don't tell me what to do. It's this fear of having someone else control and manipulate us. It may be a past history of someone doing that, of bullying you, or someone even abusing you through that. But we're called in healthy relationships that are Christ-centered. We submit to God and we submit to one another. Even in the highest positions of power... We submit to God and we submit to the people around us. We listen. We're sharpened. We don't bully our way through something. And it's a universal principle of relationships. When we trust in the work of Christ, we come under the authority of Christ. We submit. And trust and respect are the picture of of submission. Because when you trust and respect someone, it's easier to follow and obey them, right? God's placed over us, but God also places us in relationships for us to trust and respect those who are over us. And when we do that, guess what we do? We honor Christ. It's that whole principle. In order to do that, in order to have someone lead me, I have to set them over me. I have to willingly do that. If I'm going to follow someone. So we've got sacrifice. We've got submission. And here's this other one. Serve. It says literally, Who, wh- whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You are serving the Lord Christ. See that picture? Ultimately, in all of our service, in all what we do, whether it's the workplace, whether it's the family, whether it's home, we're ultimately serving Christ. And you can show up to serve or you can show up to be served. And and both will determine the type of relationships you will have. The Relationships we love to be in are the ones that are growing in service. Marked by love, marked by honor. Now, think about these three with me. You've got sacrifice, you've got submit, and you've got serve. Think about this. How many of you would love it if these were the practices in your relationships? If there was a mutual respect, if there was love and honor, just think about if that, that was the pattern. You know what? This place would be different. This city would be different. If these practices... We're revealed in all of our relationships. We long for things like this to happen in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, with our friends. Think about how much better our lives would be. It's because relationships simply thrive with these practices. But Paul also goes on and he kind of gives three environments for us. I've mentioned them before, but I want to kind of put the anchor down in these three environments. The first one is marriage. Look what it says in verse 18 again. It says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In each one of these, God kind of provides a push and a pull. He exhorts one group to one area and he exhorts another group. And what it means, if if he's going to ask a woman to submit to her husband, he's also going to ask the husband to love her like Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. You see, sacrifice, when a husband gives himself up for a wife, it's easier for her to take leadership. And to serve with him. And you know what? The pushback on submission is really the failures of men. Failures of husbands. Whether it's a father, a brother, a husband, a date. And so when you come to a relationship like marriage as a woman and you're called to submit, you feel kind of like a vegetarian in a steakhouse. You're kind of like, whoa, I'm apprehensive about this. I have no appetite for what's being served here. And maybe it's because you've seen this. Maybe because you had a father who was more like Archie Bunker who walked in and demanded things to happen, you know. And you don't want a man to control you. But do you see if a husband is loving you like Christ loved the church and is giving himself up for you, it's going to be easier for you to submit. How will he do that? You have to give him permission to lead. You got to give a man permission or else he'll be passive. And, and for most of the type A driven wives I've talked to and counseled, that's their greatest resentment. My husband's passive. He does nothing. He comes home and he just sits around. I've got to do dinner. I've got to take care of the kids. And he just expects me to serve him. And I just won't do that. And I'll go, have you ever given him permission to lead? Well, I can do things better than he can. That's exactly right. You probably can And that's why he's letting you do them because you always win. It takes humility to have a honest conversation with a husband you resent because he's not leading. But you know what? You have to give him permission to do that. And husbands, doggone it, get off the couch. Show up ready to serve. Show up ready to sacrifice. Who do you have to follow? Jesus the one who sacrificed his life for us, the one who submitted to the will of the Father, the one who did not come to be served, but showed up to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, it's not like you don't have a clue to how to do this. You may have never seen it. You may have never lived it, but you have the model of Jesus. And it's going to be easier for a wife to follow you if you are leading and loving her. And respecting and honoring her. Folks, we're a generation to which the world has rejected these principles. And we're a generation who's called upon now to show the world that these actually work. And you can only do it if you have set your marriage in Christ. We're called to do that. And when we, when we do this, we closely model Jesus. Jesus. I mean, the Trinity, this is a great one for marriage. The Trinity is, is, is three equal persons yet submitting to another. You have the Son who submits to the will of the Father. You have the Spirit who is sent by the Son to come and dwell in the hearts as a down payment, as a picture of the inheritance we have in Christ. Each one are equal, male and female are equal, but in, in the, in marriage relationship, one has to submit so another can lead. And for some reason, the, the, the marriage needs a man to step up rather than to be passive and to be controlled by his wife. And when the man does not control or manipulate his wife, but when he loves her as Christ loves the church, the two can work better together. It's not just marriage that we're called to practice these. It's also the family. Look what it says in verse 20. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, look at this. This is a leadership structure in the family of trusting and respecting parents. But it's not just a push for kids. Hey, listen up. You better obey. It's also an instruction to a father. Don't exasperate your kids don't make it difficult for them to succeed in your home Don't set such high standards that when they fail they feel worthless Don't don't limit the love that you give to them now, in our world, we usually see two two uh, diametrically opposed positions on this. We either see parents who just want to be kids' friends. And so they never confront their kids. Yes, honey. Yes, dear. Whatever you'd like. And we just give our kids. Why? Because you didn't have it. They need to have it because their lives would be so much better if they had it. When in reality, it's not. You are who you are today because you didn't have it. And you had to earn it. And you had to go out and be responsible with your lives. So many times, families are just... Acquiescing to their kids letting their kids call the shot and you're just chasing kids and you're tired and you're hurried and you're frustrated And you're not building into your kids spiritually at all. That's why you bring them here to fellowship, right? And yet if we really look at those numbers folks, there's no way A child or even a student or definitely an adult can transform with one hour a week. No way. No way that's why whatever we do as a church, we've got to come alongside parents who have over 100 hours with their kids a week and can build into their kids and can live the gospel and can nurture the faith of children in their home. And so what we've got to do is we've got to work together, church and the family and we need to come alongside and i, I that's why I love the mountain because uh, all my kids went through the mountain from first grade all the way to through sixth grade and and at the end of sixth grade when they went out to Colorado and climbed the fourteener and Nick or Larry at the time met them up on the up on the top of the mountain and Man, it was just awesome. They were welcomed into uh, the next step in their lives. They've always had people building into them from the church so that it was another voice beyond mine building into their lives. But you know what? I've had to work hard on loving my children and creating a desire and a, and a, a, a pull for them in our home. And I'm still reminded times when I've messed up, like uh, when my son Jack, after I yelled at him, would go, this will not be a house of anger. <laughs> I just remember that. And it, it, what I it, what it meant is I so had frustrated him with my anger that he really didn't get the point of what I was trying to teach him. And boy, I had to step back and go, no, I'm not going to be a dad who's controlled by anger. I'm going to be a dad who's motivated by love. Love from my Heavenly Father who loved me and gave Christ to me. And so love is what I pray for my kids all the time. I'm always praying for their hearts, that they would love Jesus more than they would love anyone else in this world. And when they love Jesus with their first and the best, then they will love others the way Jesus loves them. I pray for that all the time. Because because if I'm not intentional about loving my kids and calling them into Christ... Guess what they're going to do? I'm going to be more excited about their athletics. I'm going to be more excited about their, their academics. I'm going to be more excited or frustrated by their attitude. And you know what? That's, that's the world right now. We're just into a spin of performance of our kids and bragging on Facebook and doing all that kind of stuff, butchering our lives by their performance and not really praying for their hearts, not really investing in their hearts. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You know the worst environment for a kid to grow up in is high authority, low love. Whenever you have that discrepancy, the parent will say, Oh, but we stood for truth. Absolutely. But no one was capable of attaining it. No one could live what you put out there because you made it so difficult. You're so judgmental. And some of the worst tyrants in history... Psychologists have looked; have come from families of high, high authority, low love. You know the best environment? High authority, high love. When you can have those two, the truth and grace of God balanced in your family, you have healthy relationships. There's definitely a direction the family's going. There's def- definitely a picture of truth. The st- family stands and they live it, but they live it with love, with forgiveness, with acceptance, with joy. That's the family. It happens. There has to be the push of, of children following parents, but there also has to be the pull of fathers and mothers making it easy for kids to follow the Lord. And then the area of work is mentioned. And I know this passage talks about bond servants. And let's, let's take a look at that real quick. Verse 22, bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as men pe- or people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. It says then, Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Do you see that? It calls us if we're under the employment of someone. That we ultimately are serving the Lord, not just them. Our world says, kiss up. Our world says, make sure the boss sees you. But here you're going, your ultimate boss is Jesus. If your life is set on him, he's your ultimate boss. And remember, those of you who are employers, don't exploit, don't be unfair, don't be unjust. Because ultimately, you're under. You have a greater master And his name is Jesus also. I know some of you are thinking about, but this was an area of slavery, wasn't it? Yes, there was slavery in the New Testament, but it was different than the American experience. American experience was based on color of skin, basically Africans and the whites. And, And that has had profound damage and it has a huge, horrific consequences as our nation continues to deal with racism because of that. That's never espoused in the scripture. It's never supported in scripture. I know the southern church looked at this passage and gave credence to it. But this is that is not the heart of God. And that wasn't the right application of this passage. You've got to go back and look at what was slavery in the New Testament. And in Roman times, it was much more from an economic perspective. One third of the population were slaves. But it wasn't based on race. It was based on economics. If you went through bankruptcy and you could not provide for yourself and you were destitute on the streets, you would literally look for someone who was wealthier than you and put your life under them. They would take care of you, but you would serve them. And yes, there were abuses. Yes, there were. Because there's broken people in all relationships, right? And I'm not ever giving credence that slavery is something from the hand of God. or Reporting, selling yourself to someone where it's, that's done right now in India and different places in third world countries. That's still not good for the dignity of people. But Paul would write to a runaway slave and, uh, named Onesimus. He'd write to a man who was his slave owner named Philemon. By the way, the typical time someone would be in slavery would be 10 years. You'd be. You would pay off your debt and you could go back to being a freed person. The other thing that's really interesting is in in Jewish history, every seven years, the the year of Jubilee, all slaves would be set free. God was giving us a picture of grace. He was giving us a picture of us being even set free from the being slaved, enslaved to sin. And we would be set free through the person and the work of Christ. But it, it was more, and I guess the best application for this passage today is our workplace. When we put ourselves under for economic support of anyone, whether we work for them or we work with them or we, or we have people work under us, this gives us life-giving insight for those types of relationships. You see, in your job, we all have reasons to bring an attitude with us, don't we? especially if that environment is unfair, especially if you're working really hard and you're not rewarded and someone who really you think doesn't deserve it, they get the promotion and you're ticked and you're upset or you have a boss that's just, it seems, just is not giving you any leadership, not any encouragement. You just go and you exist. You're not appreciated. Boy, those are the reasons for dissatisfaction at work, even more so than the amount you're paid. But amount you're paid matters too. And when someone's making more than you and they're, they're working less than you, there's this feeling of unfairness. You know, that welled up within you can build the case for a lot of corruption. It can build a case for a lot of extortion of a company. And if you look at people who've stolen thousands and millions from companies, you will see this mindset. Well, no one appreciated me. And the normal guy would, normal woman would do this because I had it owed to me. And we cheat and we steal and we don't work hard. And we change our our fantasy football teams for four hours during a work day rather than work to the Lord because we feel we deserve it. And what Paul's saying here is, no, no, this is a relationship. It's 65% of your day in America. 65% of your waking hours is spent at work. If you cut that in half and just say, no, God can't have my work, I'm not going to set Jesus in my work, then you're really denying Jesus the opportunity to shine in your life. If you set him up, even in your home and your church, but you work in a different mindset, man, we've got to change that mindset. You're ultimately serving The Lord Christ in all that we do so work to the Lord not not to kiss up to men work for the Lord His eyes always see your work His eyes always honor your work, even though your boss doesn't and bosses Reward those who are working Reward those who work hard for you That's a command. We all are given Don't neglect them. Ultimately. God is watching over you too you're accountable to him for all of ours. I think about just one person here at FBC who has worked selflessly and to the Lord consistently for many, many years. Uh, that's been Heidi Pittman. And Heidi's in the back and she's going to be leaving, uh, working with us here on our connection team to go and, and work with a Save the Children Foundation here in in, uh, in Kansas. But We just want to say, just from as a church, Heidi, thank you for your service to the Lord. You have served the Lord here. Well done. Well done. (laughs) Isn't it good when someone recognizes you? It feels good. It builds you up. But you know what? You have the applause of heaven on our lives and how we practice the practices of Jesus in all of his relationships of sacrifice, submission, and service, the applause you just heard will be drowned out by the applause of heaven. God is honored. He's pleased when we set our relationships on him. So here's what I want you to do as we close. Think about a relationship that we mentioned, or maybe even one that we haven't, whether it's a friendship whether it's a neighbor, where if you really need these three practices to be shown and to be reflected in, you just would say, man, it's my marriage or my workplace stinks. And if anyone's going to show these, I'm willing to do that. You would ask God, God, I need more. I need a greater appetite. I need the resources. I need the power to sacrifice my own so that others can increase to submit to the leadership over me, to serve with a heart to you. I just need that. Would you now just in the quietness of this time, would you just bow in prayer to God and ask him for the resources that you need for your relationships? Just bow your heads and ask him and then I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are pleased when your children ask for good things from you. And boy, aren't we asking for good things. We're asking to be more like Jesus in all of our relationships. Because ultimately, we're serving Christ to whom we sacrifice and submit our lives and serve. Lord, I pray for each one of these relationships that's, that were mentioned by our church family here. You know them far better than I do. You know them, uh, you know what's needed in them far better than we even know what's needed in them. Some of them are so frustrating and have been years of frustration. We need the gospel to break through in whatever that's going to look like and we need redemption. Jesus, thank you that you lead us into redemption into restoration of all of our relationships. We trust you. We follow you. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.